Chapter Fifteen of Exotics and Retrospectives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in March two thousand fifteen. Exotics and Retrospectives by Lafcadio Hearn. Vespertino Cognizio. One. I doubt if there be any other form of terror that even approaches the fear of the supernatural, and more especially the fear of the supernatural in dreams. Children know this fear both by night and by day, but the adult is not likely to suffer from it except in slumber, or under the most abnormal conditions of mind produced by illness. Reason, in our healthy waking hours, keeps the play of ideas far above those deep-lying regions of inherited emotion where dwell the primitive forms of terror. But even as known to the adult in dreams only, there is no waking fear comparable to this fear, none so deep and yet so vague, none so unutterable. The indefiniteness of the horror renders verbal expression of it impossible, yet the suffering is so intense that if prolonged beyond a certain term of seconds it will kill and the reason is that such fear is not of the individual life it is infinitely more massive than any personal experience could account for it is prenatal ancestral fear dim it necessarily is because compounded of countless blurred millions of inherited fears but for the same reason its depth is abysmal the training of the mind under civilization has been directed toward the conquest of fear in general and excepting that ethical quality of the feeling which belongs to religion of the supernatural in particular potentially in most of us this fear exists but its sources are well guarded and outside of sleep it can scarcely perturb any vigorous mind except in the presence of facts so foreign to all relative experience that the imagination is clutched before the reason can grapple with the surprise once only after the period of childhood i knew this emotion in a strong form it was remarkable as representing the vivid projection of a dream fear into waking consciousness and the experience was peculiarly tropical in tropical countries, owing to atmospheric conditions, the oppression of dreams is a more serious suffering than with us, and is perhaps most common during the siesta. All who can afford it pass their nights in the country, but for obvious reasons the majority of colonists must be content to take their siesta, and its consequences, in town. The West Indian siesta does not refresh like that dreamless midday nap which we enjoy in northern summers. It is a stupefaction rather than a sleep, beginning with a miserable feeling of weight at the base of the brain. It is a helpless surrender of the whole mental and physical being to the overpressure of light and heat. Often it is haunted by ugly visions, and often broken by violent leaps of the heart. Occasionally it is disturbed also by noises never noticed at other times. When the city lies all naked to the sun, stripped by noon of every shadow, and empty of wayfarers, the silence becomes amazing. 
in that silence the papery rustle of a palm-leaf or the sudden sound of a lazy wavelet on the beach like the clack of a thirsty tongue comes immensely magnified to the ear and this noon with its monstrous silence is for the black people the hour of ghosts everything alive is senseless with the intoxication of light even the woods drowse and droop in their wrapping of lianas drunk with sun out of the siesta I used to be most often startled not by sounds but by something which i can describe only as a sudden shock of thought this would follow upon a peculiar internal commotion caused i believe by some abnormal effect of heat upon the lungs a slow suffocating sensation would struggle up into the twilight region between half-consciousness and real sleep and there bestir the ghastliest imaginings fancies and fears of living burial these would be accompanied by a voice or rather the idea of a voice mocking and reproaching truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun outside it is day tropical day primeval day and you sleep though a man live many years and rejoice in them all yet sleep on all this splendour will be the same when your eyes are dust yet let him remember the days of darkness for they shall be many how often with that phantom crescendo in my ears have i leaped in terror from the hot couch to peer through the slatted shutters at the enormous light without silencing mesmerizing then dashed cold water over my head and staggered back to the scorching mattress again to drowse again to be awakened by the same voice or by the trickling of my own perspiration a feeling not always to be distinguished from that caused by the running of a centipede and how i used to long for the night with its cross of the south not because the night ever brought coolness to the city but because it brought relief from the weight of that merciless sun-fire for the feeling of such light is the feeling of a deluge of something ponderable something that drowns and dazzles and burns and numbs all at the same time and suggests the idea of liquefied electricity there are times however when the tropical heat seems only to thicken after sunset on the mountains the nights are as a rule delightful the whole year round they are even more delightful on the coast facing the trade winds and you may sleep there in a seaward chamber caressed by a warm strong breeze a breeze that plays upon you not by gusts or whiffs but with a steady ceaseless blowing the great fanning wind current of the world's whirling but in the towns of the other coast nearly all situated at the base of wooded ranges cutting off the trade breeze the humid atmosphere occasionally becomes at night something nameless something worse than the air of an overheated conservatory sleep in such a medium is apt to be visited by nightmare of the most atrocious kind my personal experience was as follows two i was making a tour of the island with a half-breed guide and we had to stop for one night in a small leeward coast settlement where we found accommodation in a sort of lodging-house kept by an aged widow there were seven persons only in the house that night 
the old lady her two daughters two colored female servants myself and my guide we were given a single windowed room upstairs rather small otherwise a typical creole bedroom with bare clean floor some heavy furniture of antique pattern and a few rocking chairs there was in one corner a bracket supporting a sort of household shrine what the creoles call a chapelle the shrine contained a white image of the virgin before which a tiny light was floating in a cup of oil by colonial custom your servant while travelling with you sleeps either in the same room or before the threshold and my man simply lay down on a mat beside the huge four-pillared couch assigned to me and almost immediately began to snore before getting into bed i satisfied myself that the door was securely fastened the night stifled the air seemed to be coagulating the single large window overlooking a garden had been left open but there was no movement in that atmosphere bats very large bats flew soundlessly in and out one actually fanning my face with its wings as it circled over the bed heavy scents of ripe fruit nauseously sweet rose from the garden where palms and plantains stood still as if made of metal from the woods above the town stormed the usual night chorus of tree frogs insects and nocturnal birds a tumult not to be accurately described by any simile but suggesting through numberless sharp tinkling tones the fancy of a wide slow cataract of broken glass i tossed and turned on the hot hard bed vainly trying to find one spot a little cooler than the rest then i rose drew a rocking-chair to the window and lighted a cigar the smoke hung motionless after each puff i had to blow it away my man had ceased to snore the bronze of his naked breast shining with moisture under the faint light of the shrine lamp showed no movement of respiration he might have been a corpse the heavy heat seemed always to become heavier at last utterly exhausted i went back to bed and slept it must have been well after midnight when i felt the first vague uneasiness the suspicion that precedes a nightmare i was half conscious dream conscious of the actual knew myself in that very room wanted to get up immediately the uneasiness grew into terror because i found that i could not move something unutterable in the air was mastering will i tried to cry out and my utmost effort resulted only in a whisper too low for any one to hear simultaneously i became aware of a step ascending the stair a muffled heaviness and the real nightmare began the horror of the ghastly magnetism that held voice and limb the hopeless will struggle against dumbness and impotence the stealthy step approached but with lenter malevolently measured slowly slowly as if the stairs were miles deep it gained the threshold waited gradually then and without sound the locked door opened and the thing entered bending as it came a thing robed feminine reaching to the roof not to be looked at a floor plank creaked as it neared the bed and then with a frantic effort i woke 
bathed in sweat, my heart beating as if it were going to burst. The shrine light had died, in the blackness I could see nothing, but I thought I heard that step retreating. I certainly heard the plank creak again. With the panic still upon me, I was actually unable to stir. The wisdom of striking a match occurred to me, but I dared not yet rise. Presently, as I held my breath to listen, a new wave of black fear passed through me, for I heard moanings, long nightmare moanings, moanings that seemed to be answering each other from two different rooms below. And then, close to me, my guide began to moan, hoarsely, hideously. I cried to him, Louis, Louis! We both sat up at once. I heard him panting, and I knew that he was fumbling for his cutlass in the dark. Then, in a voice husky with fear, he asked, Monsieur, est-ce que Monsieur, est-ce que vous entendez? The moaners continued to moan, always in crescendo. Then there were sudden screams, Madame, Marcel, and running of bare feet, and sounds of lamps being lighted, and, at last, a general clamour of frightened voices. I rose and groped for the matches. The moans and the clamour ceased. Monsieur, my man asked again, est-ce que Monsieur, est-ce que vous l'avez vu? Ça vous le dit? Qu'est-ce que vous voulez dire? I responded in bewilderment as my fingers closed on the matchbox. Femme-là? he answered. That woman? The question shocked me into absolute immobility. Then I wondered if I could have understood. But he went on in his patois as if talking to himself. Tall, tall, high like this room, that zombie. When she came, the floor creaked. I heard, I saw. After a moment, I succeeded in lighting a candle and I went to the door. It was still locked double locked no human being could have entered through the high window louis i said without believing what i said you have been only dreaming monsieur he answered it was no dream she has been in all the rooms touching people i said that is foolishness see the door is double locked louis did not even look at the door but responded door locked door not locked Zombie comes and goes. I do not like this house. Monsieur, leave that candle burning. He uttered the last phrase imperatively, without using the respectful souple, just as a guide speaks at an instant of common danger, and his tone conveyed to me the contagion of his fear. Despite the candle, I knew for one moment the sensation of nightmare outside of sleep. The coincidences stunned reason, and the hideous, primitive fancy fitted itself, like a certitude, to the explanation of cause and effect. The similarity of my vision and the vision of Louis, the creaking of the floor heard by us both, the visit of the nightmare to every room in succession, these formed a more than unpleasant combination of evidence. I tried the planking with my foot in the place where I thought I had seen the figure, it uttered the very same loud creak that I had heard before. Sapakasam rêve, said Louis. No, that was not like dreaming. 
i left the candle burning and went back to bed not to sleep but to think louis lay down again with his hand on the hilt of his cutlass i thought for a long time all was now silent below the heat was at last lifting and occasional whiffs of cooler air from the garden announced the wakening of a land breeze louis in spite of his recent terror soon began to snore again then i was startled by hearing a plank creak quite loudly the same plank that i had tried with my foot this time louis did not seem to hear it there was nothing there it creaked twice more and i understood the intense heat first and the change of temperature later had been successively warping and unwarping the wood so as to produce those sounds in the state of dreaming which is the state of imperfect sleep noises may be audible enough to affect imagination strongly and may startle into motion a long procession of distorted fancies at the same time it occurred to me that the almost concomitant experiences of nightmare in the different rooms could be quite sufficiently explained by the sickening atmospheric oppression of the hour there still remained the ugly similitude of the two dreams to be accounted for and a natural solution of this riddle also i was able to find after some little reflection the coincidence had certainly been startling but the similitude was only partial that which my guide had seen in his nightmare was a familiar creation of west indian superstition probably of african origin but the shape that i had dreamed about used to vex my sleep in childhood a phantom created for me by the impression of a certain horrible celtic story which ought not to have been told to any child blessed or cursed with an imagination Three musing on this experience led me afterwards to think about the meaning of that fear which we call the fear of darkness and yet is not really fear of darkness darkness as a simple condition never could have originated the feeling a feeling that must have preceded any definite idea of ghosts by thousands of ages the inherited instinctive fear as exhibited by children is not a fear of darkness in itself but of indefinable danger associated with darkness evolutionally explained this dim but voluminous terror would have for its primal element the impressions created by real experience experience of something acting in darkness and the fear of the supernatural would mingle in it only as a much later emotional development the primeval cavern gloom lighted by nocturnal eyes the blackness of forest gaps by river marges where destruction lay in wait to seize the thirsty the umbrages of tangled shores concealing horror the dusk of the python's lair the place of hasty refuge echoing the fury of famished brute and desperate man the place of burial and the fancied frightful kinship of the buried to the cave-hunters all these and countless other impressions of the relation of darkness to death must have made that ancestral fear of the dark which haunts the imagination of the child and still betimes seizes the adult as he sleeps in the security of civilization not all the fear of dreams can be the fear of the immemorial 
but that strange nightmare sensation of being held by invisible power exerted from a distance is it quite sufficiently explained by the simple suspension of will-power during sleep or could it be a composite inheritance of numberless memories of having been caught perhaps the true explanation would suggest no prenatal experience of monstrous mesmerisms nor of monstrous webs nothing more startling than the evolutional certainty that man in the course of his development has left behind him conditions of terror incomparably worse than any now existing yet enough of the psychological riddle of nightmare remains to tempt the question whether human organic memory holds no record of extinct forms of pain pain related to strange powers once exerted by some ghastly vanished life End of chapter 15